1: Ray Dalio, founder of Bridgewater Associates. Ray, you see the world very clearly. You write about the world. You understand some of the forces at play. And the way you view the world is, at the moment, it's probably volatile. But there are five forces at play, and one of them is politics, which Secretary Kerry was talking about. Can you talk about those five forces and whether you worry that they're, they're getting even harder to control?
2: Uh, thank you for the question, yeah. Uh, I'm a for the f- last 50 years, been a practical global macro investor. And some of the things that I learned along the way was that uh, things that surprised me often never happened to me in my lifetime, but happened in history. And there were three big forces that led me to study the last 500 years of history and the patterns of history. And, and those three forces were the amount of debt that we're creating, the governments particularly, and the amount of money printing and so I want to finance that debt. It's unprecedented other than if you went back to the 1930 to 45 period. The second is the internal divisions, the largest wealth gaps and values gaps that are leading to populism of the left and populism of the right, which it, uh, a populist is an individual who will fight and win at all costs for that side. Not It's a threat to the system. And so we have our political that is totally different than at any time in my lifetime. And the third is um, the geopolitical, the great power conflict. 1945, we began the new world order. And this pattern always happens. You have a war. The winners of the war set the rules. The United States had half the world economy, 90% of the world's money and all that. And so the world order is changing competitions, different sides, uh, more risk for conflict. So then when I studied history, I found that the fourth influence, and I'm just in no particular order listening to them, the fourth influence was droughts, floods, and pandemics that has actually killed more people and has had a bigger effect in toppling orders, domestic orders and world orders, than the first three of those. So, and then number four, number five, is technology. Throughout history, man's inventiveness and the development of technology. And I saw how they are interrelated in creating these cycles, these big cycles, because if you have – if you spend more money than you earn and you get into debt, that money issue matters. And And that's certainly the case now. And then as we look at the next year, certainly populism, and most importantly, perhaps even the threat to our ability to make decisions together, as Secretary Kerry referred to, that political issue is of paramount importance. Uh, number three, certainly the geopolitical. And um, as we're dealing with the climate issue, I mean, never in our lifetimes have we had a bigger decision pertaining to climate and its consequences. And then, of course, technology.
1: You're quite, you could be quite positive on technology. The other four are getting worse have we ever seen a more uncertain time for our livelihoods
2: not in our lifetimes this is analogous to the 1920 to excuse me 1930 to 45 period and in other periods of time when there's a confluence of these because let's think for example on the climate issue It's estimated that between five and ten trillion dollars a year is one way or another. No matter if you neglect it, you'll pay the price. If you don't neglect it, you'll have the cost. Either way, it's going to be five to ten trillion dollars a year. That's world GDP is a hundred trillion dollars. So it's like it's expensive. And so we are living in a world that really doesn't have enough money. So even if we're fiddling around with, like, how is this going to work from the money point of view, you have to look at who has the money and what are their motivations. If you want to talk about that, we can. But there's a big money issue here. Yeah. Money represents productivity. It's a proxy yeah. for productivity. So who,
1: who does have the money and what is their motivation?
2: Okay. I'm going to start with... Um, the uh, multilateral development banks have about two trillion, and they have responsibilities. So, in other words, the IMF, the World Bank, and so on uh, have about two trillion. That's how much they have, mm-hmm. and we have to spend five to ten trillion a year. Um, philanthropists have about a trillion a year worldwide, about five hundred in the United States. Not, a mu- not much, a drop in the bucket. Um, the biggest pool of money you know, is large institutional money, uh, about 200 trillion. That, that's the big pot of money. Right now, about 0.3% of that money goes into climate or, and also the various forms of, let's say, ecological or um, investments of that sort, only about 0.3. I know those people. I know the circumstances. I don't want, everybody um, has to take care of the monies for taking care of who the monies to take care of. And so they have to have a return on that money. Uh, and there's a greater possibility to make great money uh, go into these initiatives if they can make it profitable. Profit is a pro- a, a proxy for productivity, and one of the great things about this conference that probably people really don't have a good sense for, that I was lucky to have a good sense for because of some of the things I do in oceans and so on, um, is there are so many deals going on. We're at a turning point, but the answer is you have to make it profitable. You just can't say it's a good thing, go do it. Regulations matter, of course. There are other things that politics matter a lot. Um, but in order to really turn it loose, it's the creativity that then gets reinforced. Because there has to be a financial sustainability, just like there has to be an ecological sustainability.
1: But, right. if we go back to the five forces, so which one of them's which one is actually the one that you know holds back investors? we saw the inflation reduction act, which means that some of these prices for technology is going down, so it's easier to make a profit if you invest it in, in the right project
2: it, it, it's it's the profit it's the it's the money thing if it is the biggest influence we're right now let us see what Bill Gates is doing with uh, um breakthrough energy uh, that's such a good example of a double bottom line now, You need double bottom line. And that's why some of these deals that are happening that will never make the headlines. There's 80,000 people here or so, and there's so many deals that are going on. Those are very, very powerful.
1: We heard this announcement of Altera. I mean, that's a lot of money from the UAE going to funds in Brookfield. Is that a template of of how money can be transferred to projects that need it?
2: It's a wonderful template. And now that has to be converted into profits, but there's so much inventiveness that's happening now wow. that I think that that's where the big, the biggest change. Of course, there are questions. There are questions like you could put on a carbon tax, or you can mm-hmm. reduce subsidies for carbon. Uh, but those are politically problem, so that we got a politics issue too. You know. So I think if you're going to make that move, I think that um, the other aspect of it is. Let's be realistic. We are unlikely to achieve the 1.5 target. So there are three things. What you can do to achieve the 1.5 target. The second is adaptation. Okay, if you don't achieve the 1.5 target, What needs to be done to make that acceptable? Of course, the consequences of of not doing that are big. Big migration, all sorts of problems. But how do you adapt? And then the third cost is the cost of the damage. I believe that more we're going to be moving, in an economic way, to adaptation. And that there's a lot of, that'll have a great power. And the reason is, it affects everybody. So, uh, whereas there's an element here of uh, let's be good and get the money. Mm-hmm. But if you go to, let's say banks, they say banks have a lot of money, but banks have assets and liabilities. And if they don't ha- receive yep. or give their depositors or those who are putting money with them an adequate amount of return, they won't have any money. Right. So you still have to have the return component of that. What happens is self-interest is a great motivator when you have that. Mm -hmm. And I think adaptation will be some area for probably great investment and great productivity.
1: But right, isn't climate change the biggest risk really to any company? And so when, when does it actually, when do we see regulation that forces every company to look at it as the longest, biggest risk out there? Well,
2: I think Secretary Kerry did such a wonderful job of describing the realities of, of that, I mean, I think that's the balance. And so, as a very practical person, um, one can't say it's going to be all or none. One has to look at actually what is it, what what is happening. And I think as you're dealing with the regulation, that's right, that's good. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a meme developing that you're not a good citizen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that political aspect also plays. Uh, I mean, I mean, um, social aspect meme plays a role, are you doing it well? Is a social pressure that has a a role? So there's regulation, there's social pressure. Those are all good things that are helping. The real question is, is that enough? I mean, it's not like you have them or you don't have them.
1: No. and, And we also have central banks that have gone from zero interest rates to 5%. So does that make a lot of these projects be more difficult to get off the ground because you can't issue debt to finance projects that are needed in climate change. But
2: it's a reality. We have to deal with the intersection of the re- various realities, right? Yeah. So, let's say from a central bank point of view, what they did was they gave away money. They made interest rates more negative, mm-hmm. and you didn't have to pay back principal because they had interest only loans. So, you got money. Okay. And then, but the problem is one man's. Debt is another man's assets. And if you don't create an asset that is going to give you a return that's above inflation, you you create a skew. So everybody borrowed a lot of money that is a problem. Okay. So uh, when we're dealing with the other question, is it more difficult to finance now that you might have an 8% essentially cost of funds rather than free money? Yes, it is. So what are you going to do about it? You can't not take care of the fact that you need to give them a real return. Otherwise, you create this bubble that'll blow up. And, and the debt, sure, we could produce a lot more debt. The government, we could say the government can give us money. Okay, Everybody says the government should give us money or, or protect risks, but there are costs to that. So these all have to interact. You're optimizing for all the parts of this, you know, the machine.
1: I, I can't tell whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about climate finance. I mean, when are we going to I'm see real returns? I'm realistic and
2: practical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope. Okay. So,
1: so how quickly can we see real returns for investors to have a real, make a real difference?
2: Um, I think that you're going to see a very rapid growth in mm-hmm. in profitable in all sorts of forms. And, um, however. I think it'll fall very, it'll come too late and too small yep. to be the solution uh, to that. So I think when we look at the whole climate, the whole, the whole thing, I think this COP is going to produce two or three times more than any COP has produced. And I think we're going to also walk away that it's only a third of what we need to produce in order to deal with that issue. And that's just the reality. So it's like the, ha- the glass that's yep. you know one third full or half full. It, you know, we're going to look at it, and it's going to say, is it a success or a failure? It depends on what you're looking at. A lot of great stuff is happening in terms of having impact. But is it enough? No, it's not enough.
1: Is the US election next year the most important thing for climate change?
2: Uh, it's the most important thing for the world, probably, OK? because. Um, For climate change, of course, it has, uh, I think Secretary Clary said it very well. There's a world movement, but US leadership and US policy and trade and cooperation is fundamental for climate, and it's fundamental for a world that works well. And we have, um, really, uh, a choice about that. So there are going to be issues regarding um, cooperation. For example, um, I think Donald Trump's um, position is that we will have tariffs of about 10% across the board, imports. Okay, So we'll become, uh, others will respond with similar things. That makes more of a trade war. And then when you have the trade war, you have more capital wars. And you have less cooperation, as you have not a policy, you know. That is um, a policy of, you know, make America uh, focus on America, making it great as strong as he would say. Okay, you have that not lending itself to as much the common interests and the common cooperation. So you have a world government that works more like the U.S. government world works now, or doesn't work.
1: So how do you see it playing out? Is it too soon? I think.
2: Uh, uh, I think a lot will have to do with the primaries. Uh, okay, so we'll go through the, the politics. Um, the, <clears throat> the game plan of Republicans who don't want uh, Donald Trump to be elected uh, is that uh, there'll be the three primaries, or the uh, Iowa caucuses, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina, and the uh, uh, candidates who are not number one opponent of them. Uh, should drop out, and then there'll be one candidate. Um, I would say it looks like most likely Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley is somebody who I think you have to work according across party lines. You have to be smart. You have to work across party lines. It, it, I'm in favor of a system that has those type of people on both sides. I think you need a strong middle, and that strong middle of what, those who can work across party lines also has to have reforms. There will need to be a lot of reforms that take place that make the country be able to deal with its challenges and do well. And so in the primary, I think the primary, who gets the nomination is going to be the most important election. And if if you get an opponent, let's say, whoever that opponent would be, let's say Nikki Haley by way of example, that affects the Democratic side. Because there's a question, most Americans don't want a Biden-Trump uh, election. Um, and most of them don't want either. For each, there are various reasons. There are reasons of age and so on that enter into that. And so there's uh, even consideration within the Democratic Party. Will that happen or will it won't? Um, it's likely that uh, if that alternative, let's say it's Nikki Haley, was to run, it would be likely that she would win the presidential election. That's what the polls would show. That puts the Democrats in a position where, OK, now the choice becomes a little bit more difficult. So the question of who is running against whom in the election also carries forward to whether you have um, a system that works well. Th- because the, if you have the polarity of the extreme, neither side can win. Um, th- th- there will not be an acceptance mm-hmm. of some of the policies. The policies even include how opposition is being dealt with. Yeah so that you have irreconcilable differences. So yes, the election is going to be critically important for not the, just the United States, for the world.
1: And, and what will the American economy look like? I'm when, sorry? What will the American economy look like when people go to the votes?
2: Well, there'll be. Strong? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very. Uh, uh, no, the American economy will be softening, OK, because what what, what, what kept it, what's relatively strong is there was a big transfer of wealth from the government. The government got much more in debt. Central banks uh, bought the debt by printing money. We had an inflation piece. Um, They put out more money, about twice as much money as was necessary to compensate for the COVID losses. So a lot of, everybody got a lot of money and the government got a lot into debt. That is now going down. And the household and business sector's balance sheets and income statements are relatively good. But at the same time, as that goes down, then you're having also the debt mature and roll over. So higher interest rates enter into the picture of what a new funding is. And you referred to it earlier in your question. Oh, at this interest rate, it's a whole different story. And all of that is favoring then The weakening of the economy. I don't think there's going to be a big bust or anything, not financial crisis, but it's not going to be a strong economy. And a lot has to uh, do with also the supply demand of bonds, which is a whole other subject. So I would expect that there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be economic happiness. And because there's not going to be economic happiness as that plays a role on the election, it will mean that the party in power is going to have more challenges. Yep. Plus, at the same time, there is the age question and you know things you know, and then the succession to um, mm-hmm. President Biden and that issue, and who's going to choose the successor? Is that going to be the public, or is that going to be Biden? And all of those issues come together to make an interesting election.
1: So it certainly will. We're almost out of time, but what does that mean for raising finance for climate? projects
2: next year if the if if the entrepreneurship is good and it really is good as i said earlier you're going to see a lot more but it's going to be difficult and it will not be the game changer
1: ray dalio thank you so much for joining us